generally our society values things very much like fairness and equity, justice, even-handedness, and the hand of fate is sometimes seen as something which is cruel and horrible. If you consider something like the, the Boxing Day tsunami of 2004 and the seemingly random nature of that, um, those who happened to decide to go to the beach that day were lost, while those who just happened to decide to, to stay up away from the beach that day survived it. Think also of the seemingly random nature in which some of us are struck down with disease and others are not. And yet at the same time, we often get intrigued with the random nature of the world and we seem to think, hey, we can come out on top. The odds are stacked against me, but I'm going to be a winner. Um, Every week, tens of millions of dollars are spent on gold lotto as the punters are hoping for their lucky break. Queensland's fourth largest industry is the racing industry. Isn't that a scary thought? Our fourth largest industry. And, of course, all the betting surrounding it as punters across the state are looking for their lucky break. And just this week it was announced in Queensland that we're going to have another three casinos, taking us up to a total of seven. Each of these, of course, filled with gamblers and often those who can least afford it hoping to beat the odds that are hopelessly stacked against them. And so we we Australians, we're we're people of paradox. We we, we spurn the random acts of nature and yet we long for a lucky break. And today the parable of the sower looks at the seemingly random way in which some people will come to faith and others will not come to faith. Why in the Gospels does it seem that that some are on the inside and get it and others are on the outside and don't get it? Why do some people believe and others disbelieve? It, It seems at times to be completely random. It doesn't necessarily follow any particular strata of society. Some of the most wealthy people believe while others don't. Some of the world's poorest people believe while others don't. It's not distinguished by age. If you look across this room, there's all sorts of age groups here. Um, It's not distinguished by gender or our position or our level of education. It's not always distinguished by our upbringing or our heritage or our location where we live. Why do some people believe and others don't? Well, we find the answer to that question in one of Jesus' most famous parables. Jesus told this story about a man planting a crop and he explains to us how the good news of Jesus Christ gets spread out into the world. And then he tells us what happens to that good news once it reaches us, once once we see it and once we hear it. Now, one of the surprising things is Um, Jesus is one of the world's best storytellers. Now that's not the surprising thing because uh, stories are a fantastic way of getting the point across. I I will often use stories to try and help everyone to understand what God is saying to us in the Bible. And when I went to Bible college they taught us, look look how many stories Jesus told and and how effective his teaching methods were. You, You need to tell stories as well. But the problem is, you see, and this is the surprising part, Jesus didn't tell stories so that everybody would understand it. He did it for exactly the opposite reason. 
Jesus told stories so that some people would get it and others wouldn't. Now, some of you might feel a bit offended by that, particularly if you're all for fairness and equity. Surely everybody should be given every possible chance. But, but we just have to face the truth of the matter. That's why Jesus did it. And the parable of the sower is evidence of that. The disciples obviously didn't know what the story meant. And so they asked Jesus, why do you tell all these stories? And Jesus said to them, to you, the secrets of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven are being revealed, but not to everyone. And then he quoted the prophet Isaiah. You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, with their eyes, while well, they're closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart. And I would turn and heal them. And that's the surprising thing. That's why Jesus used stories. If your heart is not dull, if your eyes are not closed, if your ears are not stopped up, you'll get it. But when you hear a pal- because when you hear a parable of Jesus, if you are open to God, you'll want to know what it means. You'll listen to it, you'll think about it, you'll pray on about it, you'll talk to other Christians about it, and you'll listen to teaching on it until your eyes are open and you begin to understand what Jesus is saying through that parable. When your heart is not dull, you will seek God and you will find God. The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven will be revealed to whoever is searching for God. But when your heart is dull, even when the gospel is very clearly and plainly explained, a dull heart will never accept Christ as Lord. A dull heart will shut Christ out. So Jesus told parables, not so everybody will understand, but so that those who are seeking God would have their eyes opened to the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And it's still true today, very much so. If you are seeking God, God will not hide himself from you. You need to know that. If you are truly seeking God, God will not hide himself from you. Those who are seeking God will have their their eyes open to the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so there's this division. Some could see, others couldn't. Some could understand, others couldn't. And here is where we turn to the parable to understand why. The seed that is sown is the word of God. Now, I probably don't have to explain too much to a lot of you about planting and growing crops. I preached on this once in Brisbane and I had to spend a fair bit of time explaining agronomy and uh, farming practices in general. But I'm sort of hoping I don't need to do that too much today. Um, If I went out to virtually any farm locally here in the St George district, I'd probably find a lovely maxi-merge planter sitting in the shed. Um, Actually, it might even still be out working. Um, Equipment today is designed to plant crops in nice, neat, straight rows at at an even depth, at a a precisely spaced 
seed spacing. They're amazing bits of gear, planters today. Things have come a long way since even my dad's day. There once was a time where sowing had to be done by hand and it's very much like what we do when we spread a bit of fertiliser on our lawn today. I did that a couple of days ago. So what you do is you get a big handful of fertiliser or if you're, if you're planting a crop, a big handful of seed and you cast it out, you throw it out and you sort of release your hand as you do it so that it gets a nice even spread of seed onto the ground. Now, it's reasonably effective but it's not at all accurate particularly when the wind starts to blow and it blows at different directions and so on. And I know my wife gets cranky when I get fertiliser all over the concrete path and, and that's what, what happens. You've got no control over exactly where it goes. And so the word of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, is planted out into the world. We all get to hear it. And the, when the word of God is planted... Some of it lands on the hard path. Harvest time, more than any other, is when pink and grey feathers tend to end up in the radiators of country cars. True? Yeah. And you know why. Galahs are bits of greedy gutses and any, any, bits of, uh, any bits of grain that land on the road from the trucks... Well, the galahs come down for a feast and they feed themselves up and, of course, with the extra payload on board, they're just a little bit slow, a bit like us after Christmas dinner, um, and they just can't get out of the way in time. They can't get airborne quick enough and they end up in the grill of your car. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's sown in the heart. The word of God is freely dispersed. Everyone gets to hear it. But those whose hearts are dull, well, it's just like water off a duck's back. They don't get it. They don't don't want to get it. They don't ask God for insight. Their hearts are dull. They don't want to understand, and so they don't understand. And I've seen this so many times. Soon as you, know, you might be having a discussion with somebody, and as soon as you start bringing in you know, the, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven and you start sheer, sharing about God, you just see the eyes just glaze over. You seen that? I've seen a few nodding heads. That's happened to you too. Well, that's what's going on. The word of God is being sown into a hard heart, a heart that doesn't want to hear it, a heart that doesn't want to understand it, and Satan just snatches it away before there's ever any chance of it taking root. So that's one type of soil. The second soil is the stony ground. Now the strange thing with stony ground is sometimes you can get a really good strike on on stony ground. That means that the, the seed really gets up and away pretty quick. And there's a very good reason for that. I, I know I, this is, I learnt this when I was living in Dolby because we lived out on a ridge and, and there was one patch of dirt, but there was rocks amongst it, but that didn't worry me. I, I, I needed to grow corn, so I grew, grew a patch of corn. And what I used to find is following rain or whatever, that soil would get so wet so quickly. And the reason for that is you've got all this soil, but there actually isn't that much soil. It's got rocks amongst it. Now, rocks don't absorb near as much moisture as soil does. 
So, when it gets the same amount of rain as the ground around it, so you've got the same amount of water going into only a little bit of soil, that little bit of soil gets wet really quick. But then, so when you plant the crop, it gets up and away real quick. It just like, just bursts into life. But then something else I noticed is no matter how much I watered that corn, you get a day like what today's going to be, going to be a hot day with the sun beating down on it, even if you, you, you'd water that soil till it would hold no more, during the day that corn would wilt because it, it just can't get its roots out into enough soil to be able to get the moisture into it. And some people hear the word and at once receive it with joy. It's fantastic. It's what they've been wanting to hear for so long. It meets all of their needs at the time, but their faith is shallow. And as soon as their new faith is put to the test, they quickly fall away. What is that test? Verse 21 says, When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately fall away. The role of the church is not to give people something to do. We're not, we're not just all here today because we're looking for something to do on a Sunday. The role of the church is to make known our Lord for whom we would die. That's the role of the church, to make known our Lord for whom we would die. Persecution is when you suffer for following Jesus. Now we have no idea here in Australia what it's like to suffer for following Jesus. We have no idea what it's like to live in a place like North Korea or Saudi Arabia or Egypt or Iran or Indonesia or Pakistan where Christians are being murdered today for following Jesus Christ. The cost of discipleship can be very high and of course we have costs of discipleship here too. And if my faith is shallow, as soon as there's any cost, I fall away. Edwin Louis Cole once said, When the pressure comes, preferences give way while convictions hold firm. I think that's what we're talking about here, the difference between preferences and convictions. And so the stony ground are those who fall away from discipleship when the pressure gets applied. So let's move on to the next soil type, um, weeds. Does anybody here like weeds? No. I can see Roy's trying to think of a good reason to like a weed. <laughs> John likes weeds. Well, they're not weeds then, are they? (laughs) All farmers hate weeds. Um, Of course, that was one of the curses of the fall of 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 man when we when Adam and Eve sinned. Eve would have pain in childbirth, and Adam would have to labour. And from then on, he had weeds in the garden that he had to dig up. All farmers hate weeds and one of the most important components of managing a crop is weed control. 
crops don't compete very well with weeds and, and the Bible here in the parable of the sower actually talks about thorns and thorns are, some, are often the worst kinds of weeds. They're prolific cedars. Their seed is carried by animals and wind and water and they pop up where you least expect them. And they're vigorous because a lot of thorns have, have these big taproot systems that really suck the moisture out from around it and the, and the nutrients. And the crop will usually survive, but it will yield nearly nothing. Verse 22 says, As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Two things that choke the word of God in your life. Cares of the world, or as the NIV translates it, worries of life. And the second thing that chokes the word is deceitfulness of riches. What sorts of things do you worry about in your life? Some of us worry way too much about way too many things. Uh, the story is told of a woman who, who just got in her head and she decided, oh, I've got this certain incurable liver disease. And so she went to the doctor to, to find out about it and the doctor said, you don't have this disease. What, why are you worried about this? You know, it, it, There's not even any symptoms that, that would show up in you at this stage. She goes, oh, that's, you're describing me. I don't have those symptoms. I could very well have it. Now, Hopefully we're not worriers like that lady was. Some people, though, worry all the time, unnecessarily, about all sorts of issues. Anxiety has become a recognised disorder. It's called general anxiety disorder. And it can be absolutely crippling to those who have it. But it's not only those who suffer anxiety that we're talking about. It's not only those who suffer anxiety who have their Christian life choked out of them. I think what Jesus is talking about is shifting your focus. Before the days of GPS guidance in tractors, if you wanted to make a nice straight line in the paddock, you'd have to pick a point on the horizon and focus on that point and steer towards it and keep your eyes on that point and keep driving and keep driving and keep driving. If you're in a big paddock, and it's a slow operation, it might take you 20 minutes or half an hour or even longer to get to the other end of the paddock. And you've got to keep concentrating on that point the whole time that you're steering towards it. And you'll get your straight line. But if you're easily distracted, if you're steering away and go, oh, that cloud looks like a horse. Oh, Oh, look at the hare running away, fox chasing it. Oh, right. If you get easily distracted, by the time you get to the end, you look around and look at what you've done and you've got a wobbly row, a great big curve and back again and horrible mess. And if our focus gets shifted off of Christ and off of eternity and if our focus gets shifted onto the things of the world, then we've been distracted. A few months ago we studied the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus said, don't worry about your life. He said, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about your body. God looks after the animals. Don't you think he's going to look after you? 
You don't need to worry about all that stuff. But Jesus didn't only say don't. He didn't only say don't worry. He also said do do this. He said seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You hear what he's saying? Keep your eyes focused on the kingdom of God and keep on that track, keep on that path. Now you might think that that maybe driving a tractor and cutting a straight line across a paddock might be a pretty tough ask to, to concentrate for half an hour on the one point. But that's what we're being asked to do as Christians, to keep focused on the kingdom of God all the days of your life. Keep heading straight towards that goal. Keep your focus on these things and you won't get distracted by the world. Keep your focus on these things and you won't have the, the word of God choked out of your life. Keep your focus on these things and you will be fruitful for God. The second thing that chokes the word of God is deceitfulness of riches. I like that phrase, deceitfulness of riches, because they're pretty tempting, aren't they? I suppose we could mention the quest for riches, the management of riches, the responsibility of riches. Um, These are all things which can prevent us from being fruitful for Christ. But how are riches deceitful and how do riches prevent us from being fruitful Christians? I think riches are deceitful like a mirage is deceitful. You start heading towards that mirage, think, oh, that looks like what, but as soon as you get closer to it, it just shifts and it's further away. And riches are deceitful like a mirage. If we just have a little bit more, we'll be more comfortable. If we just have a little bit more, we'll be more secure. If we just have a little bit more, we won't have to worry about these things. But once we get that little bit more, the funny thing is we've adjusted our lifestyle so we've spent that little bit more and the goal has just gotten a little bit further away. The quest for riches has become deceitful to us. We think that once we get to this point that we're going to be right, but it's actually further on. And then when we get to there, it's actually further on again. The more we get, the more we want. And the whole time that we strive for riches, we delay service to God. So some people might say, oh look, I'll start serving God once I've finished at school. Uh, you know, when I get to uni, yeah, I'll have much more time to be doing stuff for God then. I'll be in a position to serve God. But then when they get to uni, they find it's all too busy and, and, oh, I've got to have a part-time job and I've got to work all through the holidays so I can have a bit of spending money. But when I finish uni, then I'll be right. So it just gets shifted a bit further away. But then you finish uni and you start a career and then you realise, I've got to start saving up for a car and then you have to save up for a house and then I'm getting married and then the kids are on their way and we know that kids cost us big time. Then we've got to save for our retirement and it, the, the deceitfulness of riches just keeps getting pushed further and further and further away and we cheat God. We cheat God. 
We cheat God out of our tithes and our offerings and we cheat God out of the time that we should be giving him in service. And we're a crop. We've got the word of God in our heart. We've received Christ. We believe. We know we're saved. But we're getting choked. The word of God in our life is getting choked. We're distracted from God. And we're focusing on the world. And we're not yielding anything. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches have choked the word of God calling us to his service and so we don't bear fruit. Many Christians today in our society justify our accumulation of wealth as God's intended blessing for them. Sometimes God does bless people with wealth. But if God has blessed you with wealth, it's not so that you can accumulate more for your own self-indulgence. If God blesses us with wealth, it is for the use of the building of his kingdom. But the sad thing is often the richer we get, the less we give. And I'll just share a bit of a confession from my own life. When I first started work, Started off on first year station hands award, um, which if anyone's ever worked on, has ever ever been on first hand, first year station hands award? I think it's like the bottom of the tree. I was earning a hundred dollars a week, but I've always had the conviction that I should be tithing to God, giving a minimum of ten percent of, of of my gross. And so receive a hundred dollars a week, put ten dollars in the plate. That's that was easy enough, wasn't it? And that left me $90 a week to live on. And I made do. But within a few years, gradually my income built up. But when you get to $1,000 a week, putting $100 a week on the plate was starting to hurt. But it still left me with a great deal more to live on. See, this is what the deceitfulness of wealth does to us. It did it to me. Often the richer we get, the less we give. This is the deceitfulness of wealth. We convince ourselves that we need it and so we hold on to it ourselves instead of being generous. Instead of being generous to to support ministries, instead of being generous to support those who have nothing. But I have to keep reminding myself, by human terms, Jesus Christ was a failure because he died penniless and in disgrace. But in God's eyes, he was a success. And so the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth can choke our relationship with God and the word proves unfruitful in us. Now it's really easy to concentrate on all of those pitfalls of being bad soil. There's some good news here, folks. There is also good soil. Good soil. Verse 23, as for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty and in another thirty. The message today is more about the soil type than what it is about the, the seed. Because God's word is always good. We have to agree on that. God's word is always good. 
It's a, it depends, though, on what sort of soil I'm providing in my life for the word of God to be planted into. What sort of crop is being produced in my life? And verse 23, I believe, is the key. The good soil is the one who hears the word and understands it. If you truly understand the gravity of what God's word means, if you truly understand the eternal consequences of hearing God's word, you will seek him. If you understand the word of God, you will keep your eyes focused on Christ and keep heading towards him and not be distracted by the things of the world. If you truly understand the importance of the word of God, you won't be so easily distracted to the concerns of the world or the deceitfulness of riches. And with your eyes focused on Christ, Jesus says, he indeed bears fruit and yields. Every one of us, you and I, have the potential to be fruitful for Christ. simply by keeping our eyes fixed on him. Any questions? Can I ask a question? What is? Can anyone? T- we've been talking about being fruitful for Christ. Can anyone tell me what fruit we're talking about? By keeping our eyes fixed on Christ, we become fruitful. What is the fruit? Us. Yeah. People. Yeah. Any other ideas? Is it the fruit of the Spirit? I think that's a pretty good one, Brandon. Fruit of the Spirit. So things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Growing in our lives. Yeah, good one. We don't so often miss the opportunities in our place to share because like to others. Yeah, yeah. We don't so often... So it starts with the Word of God, doesn't it? And that grows in our life, making us fruitful. Now, if, if we plant wheat, what comes out? What, what's up in the head? What are we harvesting? The Word of God. And so if we're fruitful, if, if, if Christ is our focus, the Word of God will get shared from us as well. Good one, Joy. Yeah. I think it's important to think some of us beat ourselves up thinking that it's to do with achievement and it is not to do with achievement. That isn't fruit. That's the way the world judges fruit is achievement. But I'm always constantly reminded of Isaiah who we actually quoted today who Jesus quoted. This was the call of Isaiah, the prophet. 
God said to Isaiah, Isaiah, go, I want you to be my prophet and what I'm doing is I'm sending to you these people to, to these people, and you are going to speak and preach and tell them my word and nobody's going to listen to you. Does that mean Isaiah wasn't fruitful? Of course not. I think it has a lot to do with obedience as well. So that's another fruit as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is sown out into the world. We thank you, Lord, that your word has been sown in our hearts. And Lord, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would make good soil in our hearts. Lord, help us to be conscious of of when rocks and weeds start start to crop up in our lives which distract us from you. Lord, give us strength to want to follow you even under persecution. And Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you that the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth would not distract us from following you. And Father, I pray for each and every person here, myself included, that we would be fruitful for you, that we would see the fruit of God being yielded through this bunch of people here. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.